Well, I am I'm so excited to be speaking this morning. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here, and this is week two of our series called The Table of Grace. And we are joining with churches, thousands of churches, as because being a part of the Church of the Nazarene, we're joining with churches from all over the world to go through this series together. And what we're doing each and every week is we are looking at three different stories about three different tables, about people that gathered at those tables and experienced grace. And the, the, the whole series is based around one table, and that is the table that Jesus gathered around with his disciples when they shared in the Passover meal together. And just before, just before this, this Passover meal, the room was prepped, it was prepared, and after is when Jesus is about to be arrested and then brought to be crucified. But during this dinner, while he's there with his disciples at the table, he makes a statement of grace. And John records that in his gospel in chapter 14, verse six. And I'm gonna put it up on the screen here. This is Jesus' statement of grace. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, I am the way of grace. I am the truth of grace. I am the life of grace. But think about it, what is grace? Like we talk about it, we, we have sung about it, and we say it with our families when we gather around the table. The quickest prayer is grace, and then we eat. That's my favorite. But what, what is it? That's why we're talking about this. And last week, Pastor Brad began the series by talking about the way of grace. And he said a few things that just really stood out. He said, grace is for you. Grace is there in the everyday. Grace is there as you go. One thing he said was, all you've got to do is sit down. Like the table is prepped, it's set, it's ready. And he reminded us that God is inviting us to sit down. If you've got your Bibles with you, whether that is a paper Bible like I've got or the Bible on your smart device, you might even have it on a dumb device, I don't know. But get those out, get those open. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download Uversion. I think that'll be really helpful for you. And if you are on a device with, uh, with Uversion or just a device in general for the Bible, I am reading out of the New Living Translation, so you can click on that and follow along. And we're gonna be in the Gospel of John, which is the fourth of four Gospels in the New Testament. And what the Gospels are is they are written accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And to give you some context with this story, we're in chapter 12. And this is the story when Jesus is gathering with his disciples, with Lazarus, who he recently resurrected from the dead. Lazarus' sisters are there at this, at this dinner party, Martha and Mary. And one thing to keep in mind is that oftentimes this story can get confused with another story, another dinner party that Jesus is at where his feet are anointed by a, in, in quotes in scripture, it says sinful woman. But this is not, this is not that story. This is a different story. So John records in chapter 12, verse one through three, says this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance. Today we're gonna to talk about the life of grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance that we have to be here, to gather, 
to worship, to open your word and to learn from it. And I pray that as we continue to look at this story, that it just comes alive and that we, as we talk about grace, that we experience it ourselves and that we learn what it means to to walk in grace, what it means to sit at the table of grace. You are, you are grace. And as we look at this story, I, I wanna say only what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. And that's these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Is, uh, is anybody here a fan of cologne? A fan of perfume? All right, yeah of uh, body fragrances, of just smelling good in general, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. For those of you that didn't raise your hands, we have a prayer team that comes up here at the end. There's a prayer card in the front. Just fill that out and we'll make sure to... The middle school guys in here are like panicking because the, the shower is like the worst day of the week for them. But I did find this out. They are actually bottling, packaging, and releasing a scent that is called Middle School Guys. And it is guys my age that are buying it. It's at Target. It's $12, which is a little pricey. But uh, it's, it's guys my age that are buying it to reminisce about the smell of middle school, the smell of the hallway, the smell of the locker room. It just kind of collects all of those smells into a disgusting, disgusting fragrance. That's not true. That's just... <laughs> my son is sitting right over here. He's in middle school, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Dad, this is the worst. Like, this is how you start? <laughs> but it says in this story that the house that they are in, the perfume that Mary used, it says that the, the fragrance filled the house. And I love the detail that we have recorded in Scripture about that. Because I think we've all experienced a place where a fragrance filled that place. It might be the smell of a middle school boy that fills the, the space but I really love how Scripture records this for us. And the perfume that Mary is using is incredibly valuable. And it's 12 ounces. That's a lot of ounces when it comes to perfume that somebody can own and that somebody can have. At least a year's worth of wages we learn later on in this story. And so if you want to think of it this way, 12 ounces of perfume, a year's worth of wages, that's like one ounce that you can use a month. And I did the math. And let's say that the income is about $50,000. Per ounce, this perfume costs $4,166. That is some really expensive perfume. And I thought that we would have just a little bit of fun with this. And I did some research, which is a fancy way of saying I Googled, and I found some information about perfumes, expensive perfumes, and what they go for these days. And I was shocked at the crap or the stuff that people can buy <laughs> to smell good. Like it just, it, it overwhelmed me, not in a good way. I couldn't believe it, but let's have some fun with this. And we're going to start with the premiere of premieres of colognes. That way we just kind of set the bar high and it just goes down from there. And of course I'm talking about Bod. Do we remember Bod? This is, look at this, it, Fresh Guy is, is a fragrance. And then they've got Black. Like, just black, that's it. Like, it doesn't describe how it smells. And then reserve, that's like the special stuff. They only bring that out in special holidays. Thanksgiving is coming up. This is in a three-pack, and it is packaged to move and priced to sell, ready for Black Friday, $12 for over three ounces. That's, that's, that's great. The next one, 
I, I was shocked. This one is called Jean Puteau, is how you say that. And there we go. Joy. It, it, it wouldn't bring me joy to pay money for it because it costs $2,000 per bottle. The next one is by Ralph Lauren. And I, I learned that we don't pronounce the N when saying that. So it's not Ralph Lauren, because that sounds, you know, wrong, but it's Ralph Lauren. This is called Notorious. This is four ounces for $3,540. The next one the next one is French, and so this one is imported. And this one is called, this is four ounces, Baccarat Les Lames Sacrées de Thebes. You really got to hit the <laughs> on that. That's why it's so expensive, because of the <laughs> Look at that. Guess how much this one is? This one is $6,800 for four ounces of liquid, people. That is unreal. This next one, this is six ounces, okay? Woo, look at that. This is six ounces of what is known as Clive Christian's Imperial Majesty Perfume. Let's have some fun. Does anybody have a guess as to what this would cost? 10,000. What else? 54, 20, woo, 40, going once, going twice, all wrong. This sells, now remember, this is six ounces. This sells for $215,000. I'm not making this up. $215,000 for six ounces of liquid. So think of this. You can have six ounces of liquid and smell like, I would hope, Her Majesty the Queen smells. Or you could have, I don't know, a house. Like, like a, place, a place to live could be in place of this. Like it was just... I couldn't believe it. Let's drop back down price, price range to give you just uh, a little bit of a visual what we're talking about here with the perfume that Mary had. This next one is called Cara Pauvois. A lot of French ones. Look at that. That's just beautiful. This one retails for $50,000. So here, right here on the screen is a year's worth of wages. Can you imagine getting this for Christmas? Like that, that would beat the Lexus in the driveway with the red bow on it because we all know that's real life. But with stories, <laughs> with stories like, if you've done that for somebody, <laughs> I'm sorry. With stories like this, we can assume, we can assume that Mary just didn't have anything, that, that she was just this poor peasant woman but having this perfume shows the means and the resources that Mary has. And think about the means and resources that we have. Think about the means that we have to do things. Why are we sitting in this room? Because we had means to get here. And some of us opened the refrigerator this morning. Some of us are going to open it this afternoon. And we're going to look at things that we have in our home to eat. You, we have a roof over our head. All are means and are more than most of the rest of the world. But no matter what means, no matter what resources, Mary, Mary had no way, think of it this way, no amount of money, no bottle of perfume, nothing that Mary could acquire could raise the dead. Her brother, her brother dies. And while she had the means to acquire pretty much anything, when her brother died, no bottle of perfume was going to buy her way out of the death of her brother. And it's the same way with us. It is the same way with us. There's a lot that we can do. There's a lot that we can acquire. There's a lot that we can accumulate. There's a lot that we can do. But the truth of the matter is, struggle comes to us all. 
pain comes to us all. Death comes to us all. And this isn't the most encouraging of questions to ask, but I do have a question for us to think about. What in your life, what in your life is dead? What in your life are you just having a really hard time of wrapping your head around? What can't you control? What can't you buy your way out of? What do you not understand? And for some of you, maybe it is a diagnosis that you were given from a doctor and the news just, it's not great. It's not what you were hoping for. It's not what you were praying for. For some of you, it, it, it's, it's a dream that you feel like is just long gone. For some reason, you feel like too much time has passed. Maybe you're just, you're older than you thought that you would be at the point that, that you wanted to accomplish this. And so you feel like the dream is just, is just dead. It's just long gone. Maybe it's a sense just of disappointment that you've experienced. Whether that is imposed upon you or you impose it upon yourself, just just disappointed. Maybe it is some kind of a relational rift. When it comes to this, this relationship that you had, there's some kind of a, of a brokenness in that relationship and you feel like just there's no hope. The relationship is dead. Maybe it is some kind of an addiction that you just cannot seem to break free from. Maybe it's, it's broken promises. You just feel like broken promise after broken promise is it's just dead. Maybe it's past abuse, a past struggle that just keeps coming up. It's it's dead. It's in the ground. It's dead. There's nothing that we can do. And it is times like this that we experience where we can ask questions. And some of the questions that we can ask are, what in the world is God doing? What is going on? Why isn't God showing up? Where's that victory? Where is that breakthrough? Where's the miracle? Like, we sing the songs about it. We celebrate that, but I'm just not seeing it pan out in my life. And, and I hope that this encourages you because we are not, we're not the only ones that feel this way. Like those questions, those feelings, those emotions that we can have, they're not new to this generation of followers of Jesus. And to encourage you even more, Mary, Mary responds this way. If we look back at the story in John 11 where, where Lazarus, her brother, dies, we see how Mary responds, responds this way. This is in John 11, 32. Look at this. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, this is at the tomb where her brother was buried, Mary fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary responds this way because she had yet to experience the grace of God. If you had been here, if you had showed up, if you had come when you first heard of this, if you, if you did something, if you did anything, what is true of my brother today would not be so. That, that is the way that Mary is responding by saying, if you had only been here. And I feel like we can really resonate with that because sometimes we can feel abandoned, we can feel forgotten, we can feel like we're the ones saying, God, if only you would have done what I know you to do, what I've heard you do in the lives of other people, if only you would have done this for me, we can feel abandoned, we can feel forgotten. And so my question is, what do we do? What do we do in these moments? What do we do when our words echo the words of Mary in our pain, in our struggle? What do we do in the seasons that, 
that will come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They, they, they will come. What do we do when they come and that we don't understand? Because pain, struggle, death come to us all. So what do we do? What do we do in these moments? Let's look back at the scripture. John chapter 12, verse three, says this. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. When I was in college, my senior year, I had a teacher that was very difficult. He uh, was, was one of my favorites, but he, was, he, he just, his class was very hard. And to give you just some perspective of what this looked like, our very first day, so in the fall, in August, when school starts, our very first day of class, we walk in, and he comes in, hands us our midterm, which isn't till, you know, October, and says, start studying now. And then he just walks out. I'm like, I paid for this? Like, I couldn't believe it. The midterm, just, just to, you're, you're probably not gonna, feel the weight of this, but it's, it's 200 facts, dates, and people. And when you get the test, you have those 200 lines, and only one of those things is filled in for, per, per each line. You don't know which. You don't know if it's going to be the person, the place, or the fact. So you have to memorize all of this from the day you get it, the very first day of school, to when the midterm takes place. So like any good college student, I waited until the week before the test to study. And it, it's so fun to, to see people on campus when this test is coming up because you see the flashcards, you see the post-it notes, you see the pacing, you see the anxiety, you see the sweat, you see the fear. It's just great. That's just, that's just college. Well, the week before the test, I am studying like a champ, and it comes now the day before the test. And I thought, you know what? I feel fairly confident that I'm going to get a solid B on this test, which for me was great. I mean, I, that, that is good enough for me. So I felt the need to not study the day before the test. And I, I was an RA in the dorm for two years, and I, I got together with the other RAs, and we went to the mall, Penn Square Mall in Oklahoma City, because what else do you do but go to the mall? And <laughs> now you do a lot of things. Nobody goes to the mall anymore. And JC's like, I go to the mall. Anyways, <laughs> chasing a rabbit here. But we go to the mall, we get Chick-fil-A, because Chick-fil-A in the mall was the only place that you could, you could get Chick-fil-A, so it was, a, it was a treat. And after that, we went to the Apple store, we took goofy pictures on the computers. Does anybody remember doing that? That was like the selfie before the selfie, and now we have that technology on our phone, so it's kind of, yeah, Eric's waving his hand back there. Thank you, I, I see that hand. And so we take pictures in the Apple store, we're just having a grand old time. We get back to the dorm, it's later on in the evening, and I walk in, and one of the guys on my floor that I'm responsible for is just doing stupid, like college students do, just doing dumb. And as the RA, I had to deal with it. I had to call my boss, he had to come up, and he had to figure out what the next step was gonna be for me, for this student, for the dorm, like what do we have to put in place, all this stuff. And by the time it was resolved, it was like three o'clock in the morning, and so I just fall into bed, just completely exhausted, and I wake up, late the next morning, and Lord knows how long my alarm was going off, and I, I, I rush across campus. I get to the class about 10 minutes late. Everybody's looking at me like, what have you done? And my teacher goes, fill it in. I was like, oh my gosh. And 
here, here's how this went. I sat down and I leaned forward, confident, right? B, solid B, and I look at the tests and I blank. Like everything that I stored for a week and a half was just gone. And so I'm sitting there, and now I'm the source of anxiety and fear, and I'm sweating, and like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've just run a marathon, and I'm just panicked. And I fill in what I, what I feel like I, I, could feel, I could fill in. And I remember getting up from that table and walking the test to my professor, and I was one of the first ones done, which is not a good sign. But I was like, I, I have failed this test. I didn't say that because I still wanted to seem confident, but I handed him the test knowing that I failed and I just, I just walked out. And I felt so defeated and I just felt so angry. Like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Well, a couple days pass and my professor finds me on campus and asks me about my performance in the test because he was surprised at how bad I did. I mean, I, I failed it. Like, it was a glorious failure. And he was shocked. He was surprised. And I explained to him everything that had happened the night before. And he goes, were you even prepared? I was like, yeah, I mean, I studied. And he goes, the week before or all semester? Um, well, I mean, you pick. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> no, I, I said, I, I, the week before. But I had flashcards. I, I just felt like I was going to get a solid B. Now, here was a rule that he had. You could always come in and retake a test, but he always averaged your new score to your old score, which meant that whatever your new score was going to be, however good, always dropped down because of your lowest, right? That's just how math works. And what was really interesting is he stood there and he listened to my explanation of what happened the night before. And he said, I, I want you to come in and retake it. I said, I'm already planning on doing that. I just need about one more day to study. He goes, okay, you take that extra day to study. And when you come in to take your test, I'm not going to count your failure. I'll never forget that. Come in and take your test again, and I'm not going to count your failure. In that moment, my professor showed me grace. And I was so thankful for that grace because that allowed me to finish that class and that allowed me to graduate. But what's really interesting for us to know, while I'm thankful that my professor showed me that grace, it was really God that was showing me that grace, that God had that grace on me. That grace comes from God because God is grace. Grace comes from, from God because God is grace. Anytime that you're shown grace, it's from God. God is working through that person. God is working through that event. God is watching over us. And what we need to do, and I want you to write this down, what we need to do is we need to recognize God's grace. That's what we need to do. We need to recognize moments that we experience, conversations that we have, blessings that we receive, and recognize God's grace. Because Mary, she teaches us that in this story. She recognizes the grace that God gave her because she recognizes that it wouldn't have happened otherwise outside the grace of God. And the way she responds to the grace that God shows her, I just love because she, she responds and does this publicly. She recognizes that what has happened, remember her brother coming back from the dead, has only happened because of God. And what does she do? She stops and she worships. 
and she thanks Jesus for what he's done. And, and this is really, really cool. Look at, look at what Mary does in both of these examples. What does she do? When her brother dies and when her brother has come back to life, what is her response? What does she do? She comes to Jesus. When her brother dies and comes to visit her at the tomb, what is her response? She falls at his feet. And then her brother is resurrected and at this dinner party, what does Mary do? She falls at his feet to anoint the feet of Jesus. Even in her disappointment, Jesus is the sinner. Even in her disappointment, Mary comes to Jesus. When you're up against a hard season, when the pace of school is just overwhelming and you cannot seem to keep up, when your marriage is just on the rocks, when you're not sure if you're gonna have a job to go to or it's, your job is just overwhelming, the demands, the constant de demands of, of keeping things organized, of keeping things up to date, of making sure the production happens. For some of you, the holidays are coming. Thanksgiving is this Thursday, by the way. By the way. And for you... You're not looking forward to the, the food and the aroma and the people gathering. What the holidays remind you of are fighting and are of loss and regret. So when you're up against those hard seasons, do you come to Jesus? Do you come to Jesus? Because what we've got to remember, as Pastor Brad said last week, grace is there in the everyday. Grace is there in the everyday. We are being invited, you and I are being invited to sit down at the table. And what we have got to remember is that this table is set. This table is prepared. This table is ready for us. And it's set up right in the middle of the mess, right in the middle of the chaos, right in the middle of the seasons that we don't understand, that we don't feel prepared for, that we don't feel qualified to lead or th lead through or experience. We have got to remember that the table is set for us. God wants us to recognize that, that the table of grace is set. Mary recognized the grace that was shown to her. We need to recognize the grace that God has shown us. Recognize God's grace. Come to Jesus. Sit at the table. But what do we do when our story doesn't end like Mary? It can be hard for us to reconcile our pain, our struggle, because Mary got Lazarus back, right? What do we do when we don't? What do we do when our story doesn't happen that way? What if the divorce happens? What if the heart stops beating? And we're praying for it to, to keep on beating, but the heart stops. The abuse took place. The relationship was broken. The healing didn't come. The doctor report wasn't great. The job was lost. Mary gets Lazarus back, but what happens when we don't? When Lazarus dies, Mary, I mean, the way that she responds is, is understandable. She is just overwhelmed. She is just 
distraught. She is fully just in that moment of loss and of pain and of grief and of mourning. And what's really interesting is Jesus' first response. I love Jesus' first response. Because what we have to remember is Jesus was both fully God but both fully man. And let's look and see what Jesus' first response is. This is in chapter 11, verse 33 through 35. It says this. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Jesus was angry. Jesus was troubled. Jesus wept. And what that says to me is that when you experience a struggle, when you experience a pain, when you experience something that you cannot wrap your head around that is outside of your control, when you experience a death, Jesus is with you. Jesus is troubled. Jesus weeps. Jesus mourns. And what Jesus does is he enters into the pain He enters into the struggle. He enters into the death with you. That's what Jesus did for Mary. And that's what Jesus does for you. And I want you to write this down. Grace is present. So we need to recognize God's grace and we need to recognize that grace is present. Why is grace present? Grace is present because God is present. Scripture says that God is ever present and ready to help in times of trouble. Those are the truths that we need to hold on to. The truths that we need to recognize that grace is present. Whatever we experience, grace is present. And Jesus mentions to those at the dinner earlier on in this story that what Mary is doing is preparing Jesus for his own burial. And what I just find really interesting is that why did Mary have this perfume? Because her brother died and she was gonna prepare his, her brother for his burial. But Lazarus was brought back to life. And so the perfume that was meant for the death of her brother is now meant to prepare Jesus for his death and his resurrection. And through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our lives can be resurrected from that struggle, from that death, from that pain, those dead places. We don't have to stay there, right? Like we don't have to let that be the end of our story, whatever that pain is, whatever that struggle is. We don't have to identify with that. We can be resurrected from that pain. And the situation, the truth is, the situation may stay the same, But our mindset is changing because we recognize that God's grace is on us. We recognize that we do not grieve alone, that God grieves with us, that God walks with us. And because of that, we're reminded that there is nothing that we experience outside of God's presence, and there's nothing that we experience outside of God's grace. Nothing that we experience. That's why Jesus came. That is why Jesus came, so that we could be free from all of this, so that we could be free from the pain, we could be free from the struggle, free from the heartache, free from the brokenness, free from the depression, free from the anxiety, free from the loneliness. We may even be surrounded by people in this room, but so many of us feel so lonely. And the grace of God wants to free you from that. And that's what gives us grace, and that's what gives us peace to recognize that whatever happens, Whatever the result is, we serve the God of the resurrection. 
We serve the God of the resurrection. And ultimately, I believe that we serve the God who can resurrect us out of the state of mind that we can just get stuck in. We just feel immobilized in our mind and the thoughts that we have and the the way that we talk to ourselves. We can just get stuck in that and God can resurrect us out of that state of mind. And we we can walk into the light of a new day. I love feeling the sun on me when I'm sitting in that front room at the tables there, that sun shines through the windows. There's just something so healing and soothing about that. The light, God can walk us into the light of a new day and we can experience healing, we can experience grace. That's what grace is, right? That's that's the table, grace is present. We've gotta remember that the table is set. And, and, and we just need to recognize that. And we need to remember that God is inviting us to sit at the table, the table that is set, the table that is prepared, the table that has everything that we need. We're going to move into a time of prayer and communion. But as Cole and as Jen are singing this song, I want to encourage you to bring it all to the table. Whatever that is, grab a prayer card in front of you and write down your prayer request. And as we sing, what is it that you need to bring to the table? I wanna invite you to stand. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we move into this time of worship, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, that you would remind us that grace is present. Grace is present because you are present.
say 